Thank you so much, Pastor Colin. We are delighted and honored, my wife and Jonathan and I, to be here again. I feel this is home away from home. Uh, ever since I was introduced to Pastor Colin Dye by R.T. Kindle, our mutual friend, and we became good friends. As a matter of fact, he remembers this. When God gave me that vision for Malakot Sat, I just came from the Middle East and realized that there's such a desperate need for the new believers to be established and for new believers to come to Christ. And uh, that was pressed on my heart so heavily. And the Lord says, this is not going to be like any other television channel, Christian television channel, is going to be focused on lifting up Christ. Because Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I draw men to myself. And so my older son, Joshua, who's not here, and I were praying and said, we need to invite key people from around the world to be on this channel. And Colin Dye was on the top of our list. And we were in London. Amen. Amen. We were in London for just one day and said, we want to come and want to share this with you. And, and uh, I didn't know about the office, so we came here. And we came to the wrong place. But nonetheless, we still connected. And I shared this with him. And he immediately, his spirit witnessed to that. And I knew God is going to use him in a mighty way on that channel, and just arrived two day, three days ago from Indonesia. We had a, an evangelistic outreach, three nights in the historic um, uh, Astora Sanayan Stadium. I thought my son would correct me here. <laughs> I don't keep up with the places. I just like people. And every night, God has blessed hundreds and hundreds of people were coming down uh, to receive Christ each night. And it was a marvelous opportunity to be there face to face. And while there, we launched KingdomSat, which has been in the Arab world, Europe, on, on three different satellites, ArabSat, NileSat, and EuroSat. And then, of course, it's on now eight satellites. And we just launched it in Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. Amen. Are there any Indonesians here? Any Indonesians? Well, there are going to be a lot more in the future because they'll be watching Pastor Colin die, and they will know about London. Yes. As I said, it's really always a unique privilege for me to come and, and share from Christ's Word now that we are ministry partners in the truest sense of the word. And uh, I often say that ever since I met Colin Dye through R.T. Kendall, we became fast friends, and I often say there's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for Colin, and nothing in the world Colin would not do for me. Yeah. So in the past 10 years, we've been going around the world doing nothing for each other. <laughs> As share with Pastor Colin, uh, welcome those who are premier listeners. How many premier listeners here? Hey, praise God. That's great. As I prayed about what God would lay on my heart to share today, I um, will share a message that I don't really share very often with 
people on this I'm at home with. And I am at home here because this particular passage and this particular message of a parable of Jesus is what molded me, what made me uh, who I am today, it, what created the ministries in which I serve and uh, all the opportunities that God had presented. And, and it's so unlikely parable that when I explain it to you, and I explain to you what Jesus meant by it, I pray that it will challenge you as it was challenging to me 42 years ago. And literally, I was a seminarian in Sydney, Australia, and, uh, and I remember this lady walked up to me, and by the way, she was a Brit living in Australia. And she shoved the Bible in my face, and she said, what is this doing in the Bible? And I stuttered and stammered, and, and I said, let me look at it and come back to you. And didn't realize that God was going to mold my life from this passage. It's in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. If you have your Bibles or your gizmos or whatever you call those things, and uh, iPhone and iPad and I, I this and I that and blueberries and blackberries and <laughs> strawberries and... I am technically challenged. So without Jonathan here, I'm lost. In verse 9, as you look at this, I'm going to, come, I'm going to explain the passage. I'm going to explain the parable. But verse 9 is really the key, nine, uh, the key verse here. Verse 9. Luke 16. I tell you, said Jesus... Use worldly wealth. Some translation says unrighteous mammon. Explain that in a minute. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it goes, so when it is gone, you will be welcomed in their eternal habitation. Before I come back to the verse, this key verse, I want to explain this parable to you in a modern-day, day-to-day activities. Because of all the parables of Jesus, this is the most ethnically Middle East parable. It is the most ethnically first-century Palestine parable. Uh, it is one of those parables that, uh, if you're not from the Middle East, you don't understand it. And so, God brought a Middle Easterner here to tell you about it. There was an owner of a business, a guy who owns a company. And this owner hired a manager. And he said to the manager, you run the company. And the manager left him in charge and left the, the steward, manager, was really uh, embezzling. He was not doing a good job as a manager. He was wasting money. He was wasting time. I don't know whether he was padding his expense account. I don't know what he was cheating. Uh, whatever he was doing, falsifying reports, whatever he was doing, it was not good. <laughs> he was a crook. That's the bottom line. He really was a crooked man. And when the owner finally, his patience ran out, he said, I am going to get rid of this guy. And so they have a confrontation. The confrontation doesn't go very well. And so he decides that he's going to give him a notice and he's on, on his way out. Well, when the manager found out that he's going to be on his way out, he thought to himself, how am I going to face the future? 
how I'm going to face a future without this job. He said, I am really uh, too old to be able to have a manual job, and I can't do it. And I don't have financial resources to be able to support myself once out of this lucrative uh, job. So he basically devised a, a, a very wicked <laughs> and but ingenious scheme. Uh, he still has all the company books. They're all in his possessions. He knows all the ins and outs, who owes what and who has where. So he brings all the debtors in, and he said, now, how much do you owe my boss? 200,000 pounds? Sit down, cross it out, make it 100,000 pounds. Great, 50% discount. The next guy, how much do you owe my boss? Well, 100,000 pounds, I'll make it 50,000. Third guy, how much do you owe? 50%. Wonderful, generous discount, courtesy of his boss, to every one of them. In his mind, figuring that in doing so, he is endearing himself to these people. So when he's out of work and in a state of need, he'll be able to go back and say, Hey, remember me? (laughs) That's how they say it in the Middle East. Remember me? trying to endear himself. There's this generous uh, uh, discount, this generous gesture. And when the, man, the owner finds out about this latest shenanigan, he says, <laughs> this guy is out now. No notices. But then he becomes a little philosophical. After he gets rid, gets rid of him, he becomes philosophical. So he says to himself, you know, this guy is really a crook, uh, but, but his, his plan is ingenious. It's a brilliant plan, and sort of he philosophized in his mind. Uh, the owner kind of secretly admired the guy for his fortitude, for his forthrightness, for his, uh, for his foresightedness, uh, for taking care of himself. Some of you are probably sitting here saying, oh, wait a minute, Michael. I understand that this is a first century Palestine parable. What has this got to do with me today? Who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe the Lord Jesus Christ, who are saved and born again, and I'm supposed to live ethically and morally. And what has this got to do with me? Ah, it has everything to do with you. Just be patient with me. I'm going to show it to you because that's a good question. And that's the question that this lady, 42 years ago, shoved under my nose and said, what is it doing in the Bible? I take it away and I start studying it and then transforms my life. And I pray it will transform yours. Here's what Jesus is saying, bottom line. He is saying to the believers, to his children, the children of light, he's saying, look at this crook. Uh, who is doing crooked things for selfish purposes and for selfish reasons. Look at this crook. He's taking care of number one and planning to take care of number one. Look at his total dedication to his earthly life. Look at his total commitment for his own well-being, whatever that earthly life might be, 10, 20, 50 years. But he he made every effort to take care of that. How much more, said Jesus, should you who love the Lord Jesus Christ be committed to his cause, be committed to his kingdom, 
be committed to winning souls for Christ, to be committed to saving the lost for Christ, to be committed to empowering the believers in Jesus Christ. I was telling the earlier congregation, I speak as a pastor, I don't know about United Kingdom and England, but I know as a pastor in the United States for the past 27 years. I know some people who plan for their vacation more than they plan for their eternal life. And some people plan very diligently for their retirement, which we should. There's nothing wrong with that. I just told, told the leadership of my church, I don't want to even want to hear the word retirement. I'm going to be 65 this year. I'm just learning how to preach. And really good. Go to, uh, so back in 08, when the market went, f- fell apart, I came home. I was traveling overseas. I came home, and our financial guy says, we lost most of our retirement money. I said, praise God. He thought, basically, my sanity has left me. I said, you know what that means, don't you? We'll never retire, <laughs> which is great. Fine by me. But some people plan more for their retirement years, whatever they may be, than their forever and ever and ever. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us, learn from this crook who could not see past his nose. <laughs> learn from this crook for planning things for earthly life, however many years they may be, learn from this shrewd, with his own resources, or resources of others, and with your use of your resources for your eternal home. Learn and be wise in visualizing eternal life now. Learn and invest in the people who will see you one day in heaven and thank you for your commitment and for what you have done and the investment of your time, talent, and treasure that caused them to hear the gospel and come to heaven. That's what he's saying here. They will come to you and they say, I owe you a debt of gratitude because your commitment, your dedication, your investment that made it possible for me to be here today. Uh, I have a thankful heart toward you for making it possible for me to hear the good news uh, through your pastor and, and, and through your own witness in order that I now in heaven today. That's what Jesus is saying. You invested your time, you invested your talent, you invested your treasure. You know, in the U.S., every second commercial, and I'm not exaggerating, right? Every second commercial is saying to people that buy gold and buy silver. Uh, they must be spending billions in advertising. The gold and silver people. I mean, buy gold, buy silver, buy. And, and the commercial point is, the U.S. dollar is going to become worthless. That's basically the point they're making. But listen, <laughs> in heaven, everything we have here has become worthless. Every dollar, every pound, sorry, I'm not, I, I have it die hard. Every pound you have, it will become worthless in heaven. All of our possessions, whatever they may be, whether small or big, they'll become with all of our investments on the earth, they'll become worthless. All of our real estate will become worthless in heaven. The only thing that you're going to find in heaven is what you already invested in the kingdom of God here and now. A friend of mine says, there's only one thing you will not be able to do in heaven. You see, 
You sing, we'll be able to sing in heaven. We worship, we'll be able to worship in heaven. Now, I won't tell them, our musicians, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I can't sing. And I told our musicians at home, I said, you know, but in heaven, I'll be able to sing. I said, yeah, it's going to take heaven to get you to sing. <laughs> but even so, the one thing that you will not be able to do in heaven is disciple somebody else. Is witness to somebody else. You'll be able to do everything. You'll be able to pray. You'll be able to sing. You'll be able to do everything in heaven that you're doing here. But the one thing you will not be able to do for heaven is to see the lost come to Christ. It's to see the believers established in the faith. It's to see the work of God going on. A friend of mine was traveled to Cuba not long ago. Now, Americans are not allowed to go to Cuba. They're relaxing a little bit now, but you have to get special permission to go to Cuba. When he was in Cuba, he bought a lot of Cuban money with his dollars. But he didn't use it all, and he forgot to change it back. So he ended up in the United States with hundreds of dollars worth of Cuban money. It was worthless. <laughs> he can't do anything with it. It has no value in the United States. And that's what will happen in heaven. Everything we have here will become worthless in heaven, except... The investments that you made in the lives of other people. The investments that you use for the kingdom of God. The investments that you put in the life of other individuals. And the work of the kingdom. And the work of the ministry here at KT. And so there's three things I want to share with you about this particular parable. And I pray to God that uh, it really will be used of the Holy Spirit as he used it in my life. Three things Jesus is saying. Wisely... Face reality head on. Secondly, he says, wisely project your eternal future. Thirdly, he says, wisely act on your conviction here and now. Don't say tomorrow, some other day, now. First, he said, wisely face reality head on. Uh, I meet young people in the States who come to me for counseling or ask me questions and and, and, and especially the sad part is the ones who really inherited some money, which seem to be more of it these days. They are totally unrealistic. They live a life of unreal, uh, unreal life. They are unrealistic about their abilities. They are unrealistic about their expectations. <laughs> the, some even are, are, are unrealistic about the span of life. Some people think they're going to live forever. Uh, some are so unrealistic about their eternal future. Too many people are waiting for the ships to come to port when they never send any ships out. Have you seen some of them? And Jesus is saying that if this crooked man who did crooked things was realistic enough about the conditions awaiting him after his unemployment, after his employment, if this crooked man was realistic about his world, how much more should you and you and you and you and I be realistic about the work of our Savior that he entrusted to us? How much more should those who believe that they're going to be spending eternity in heaven with Jesus? How many of you are going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? Well, praise God. Those of you who didn't raise your hand. I hope by the time we finish the sermon that you give your life to Christ. Don't leave this place 
without talking to somebody because that is the most important thing in life, the most important decision in life. The question is this. Are you making plans for your realistic plans for your future in heaven? This is not going to be 10, 20, 100 years. This is going to be forever and ever and ever. This is not going to be a few years of retirement. This is going to be your eternity. Do your life plans reflect the reality of that eternity in mind? Are you writing your personal budget and your time schedule? I said schedule and they all laughed this morning, so I I learned. Your schedule in mind. Are you managing your earthly time and your earthly resources and your earthly treasures, your earthly talent with that in mind? Are you realistic enough to know that this life will end sooner or later to some it's going to be soon to others might be later he is saying make sure that everything you do and every investment you make has the eternal reality in it and the question i often ask myself and i do that on a regular basis indeed uh, uh, now it's becoming a daily basis and the closer i get to the time I'm going to be with Jesus the more I ask that question. The question I ask myself is, does whatever I am supporting bring glory to Jesus? That's the question. Amazing, in the United States, we moved from a, a house, a big house, since we down, downsized, and we moved to a, an apartment building in a high rise, and we happened to have a, a large uh, Jewish community in that high-rise building, and they are uh, really prominent people in the city. And uh, God just gave me favor with them and gave them favor with me, and, and we, I, I love these folks. I really do. And just think about this. They're, spend, they're really spending their fortune, try to prolong their life just one day. <laughs> Many of them are in their 90s. <laughs> and so I developed an answer when they asked me, how are you, Michael? I said, I'm rejoicing. Well, in the beginning I said, what? What are you rejoicing about? I said, because today I'm one day closer to heaven. You kidding me? (laughs) I'm trying to live one more day. (laughs) And so you give me a great opportunity to witness to them. It's really, really a wonderful, wonderful uh, response. But now they know not to ask me, how are you doing? (laughs) They said, I know you're rejoicing. Okay, but here's the question. Does whatever I invest in, whatever I put my resources in, going to bring the lost to Jesus Christ? Is it going to save souls? Will what I commit to to do bring people to heaven and so that in heaven they were going to welcome me in their eternal habitation? That's what Jesus is saying. From this, this is the point that you, this man wisely faced reality. Secondly, this man wisely projected the future. Will you have friends in heaven? Will you have friends in heaven? Now, I'm not talking about your church friends. I'm not talking about your friends in your cell group, unless you led them to Christ. I'm not talking about just Christian friends in general, uh, in your Bible study. No, I'm talking about 
friends that you somehow, because of your involvement, because of your commitment, because of your prayers, because of your giving, because of your sacrificing, you were able to see them in heaven. That's what I'm talking about. This is the friends that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about people to whom you will witness People in whom, in whose lives you invest valuable resources. People you may not know this side of heaven. People you may not heard about them this side of heaven. I, I guarantee you, if Pastor Colin Dye was not in some of these countries and discovered that people are watching him five times a day, they're going to be in heaven whether he had met them here or not. They're going to be in heaven. And they're going to be in heaven because you also involved. It's not because those of us, like Pastor Colin or myself, have faces on television or people hear us directly. I can assure you that I am convinced, and I can prove it from Scripture, that the some who are behind the scene doing things for God are going to receive greater reward than those of us up front. Do you believe that? Let me give you an example from the Scripture. King David comes back before he became king, and he discovered that the city of Ziklag, where he lived, was ransacked. And they took the kids and the children. The Philistines came and ransacked it. So he goes to the Lord, literally cries his eyes out, said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, go down to battle, liberate the kids and the women, and bring them back. And so he does. And his great victory, God gives him. And they come back with the spoils of victory. Uh, and the warriors who went down in the battle with him began to say, now these people who stayed by the stuff, guarding the stuff while the others went to war, they should not get exactly the same reward as the ones who went to battle. He said, we sacrificed. We, we took our lives in our own hands. Here's what David said. He said, the reward of those who stayed by the stuff shall be equal to those who went to battle. And I can assure Show you that in heaven, the reward of some of you who might be behind the scene doing things, serving God and, and sacrificing and is going to be greater, if not equal, to those who are at the, up front. And so, here's what I recommend you do. Don't do it now, but do it when you go home. Do it on a daily basis. Close your eyes just for a few minutes every day and project yourself in heaven. Okay? Just close your eyes for a few minutes a day. Visualize yourself face to face with Jesus. Just take that moment. Focus on that. Visualize that you are face to face with people who are walking up to you because in heaven we will know as we are known. We will know things that we do not know now, but they will know your part in what you did to bring them to heaven. They're going to walk up to you and say, thank you. Thank you, because of what you have done, I am here in heaven today. Although you did not know me, you, 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 you did not know my name, you did not see my face, but you were selfless in your giving. You were selfless in your ministry, so much so that I am here today because of what you have done. And the, Jesus tells us not only to be realistic about that future in heaven, but he tells us to be wise in planning ahead uh, and visualize that future. This crook literally visualized himself in his future after employment. 
in an unemployment line. He was in poverty and homelessness, and he saw himself as an old man. He couldn't dig and he couldn't do manual work. He visualized himself in need, desperate need. He visualized himself losing of all his credit cards and his, his, his club memberships and all the privileges that he had. He visualized all of that, and he did something about it. Crooked things, but he did something about it. And Jesus said, how much more should my children visualize where they're going to be spending their eternity. Amen? Amen. How much more should we visualize our eternal home? I know my wife and youngest son are here, and and therefore they know what I'm going to tell you. In fact, a lot of the leaders of our church know what I'm about to tell you. It's not a secret, but I live my life for that day. Every decision I make is for that day. Everything I do, everything I get involved in, is for that day. It's what I call the day when we have the privilege of having an audience of one. One on one. Every waking moment, Even when I'm resting, I'm thinking of that day. This is not pride, that's just a fact. And this parable changed my life, changed my purpose for living, changed my attitude, changed everything I do. Even when I pray, my focus is not just next week or next month or next year, it's eternity. And I often visualize thousands of people who've heard Colin die and come to Christ. And I had a small part to play in that. And these are the people, God's people, from every tribe, from every nation, from every language. Recently I was in Kuwait preaching last month in Kuwait And we had, I don't know, 17, 18 different nationalities. And they sang a song that supposedly translated into all the languages. And they were singing it in their language. And the whole congregation singing different languages, same song, same tune. And I had to pinch myself. I said, this is what heaven is going to be like. We're going to be singing like this from every tribe, every language, every nation. We're going to be gathered in heaven. Look, I don't have to tell you, and I'm not going to take time to tell you, because you know that, you hear the news, the world is in a state of turmoil. Globally, for the first time probably in Christian history, a hundred million Christians are under persecution today. Is the Lord near? I sure hope so. I'm praying for that day. Every morning I said, if it's today, I'm ready. And I look forward to spending time with you in heaven. I'm going to get time to know you today, but I know I will in heaven. So this man wisely faced reality. He wisely planned ahead and visualized the future. Thirdly, he wisely acted upon his conviction. Lots of people have convictions. I dare say everyone here has a conviction of some sort. 
The difference is one acts on the conviction, one doesn't. That's the difference. I tell my congregation all the time, I said, no rewards for people who sit on their blessed assurance and do nothing. I am absolutely flabbergasted at how many Christians in this day and age, when all the stuff that's going on around us, when God keeps sending a signal that He is nearer than ever with tornadoes and with floods and with earthquakes and everything else that's going around, I am flabbergasted at how many Christians are involved in all sorts of causes except the most important cause. That's the cause of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that they all have to share my conviction. But if they have a conviction, they better act on it. I look at the commitment of the godless. They're total day and night working for their causes. They're so dedicated, they're so committed. They're lobbying politicians in London and Washington DC and in Paris and all over the world. They are working hard. They're working day and night. They're giving sacrificially to their cause. And, and, and I, I, I sometimes want to hang my head in shame when I see that dedication they have. And genuine Christians take their life and Christian life not even seriously. And sadly, so many are becoming indistinguishable from non-believers. Could that be the great apostasy that Jesus talked about? I don't know. But he certainly said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And as I see preachers in America at least, uh, departing from the truth and departing from the faith and, 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 and following all sorts of myths and, 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 and idolatry. I wonder if we're not living in those days. And that is why today, those who love Jesus need to get serious and act upon their conviction. I often ask myself the question, what would Jesus say if he walks into KT today? If he, if he walks in here, walks in the church of the apostles, what would he say to us? How would he explain this parable? I am convinced with every ounce of my being that if we had the privilege of hearing the Lord Jesus Christ standing here today, he would have said to every one of us, he said, look at the atheists, look at the agnostics, look at the secular humanists, look at those who are lobbying for homosexual marriage, look at those abortionists, look at the jihadis, they are so committed to their causes, misguided as they were. How much more should you? How much more should I be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Look at their commitment to the misguided causes. Look at their willingness to humiliate themselves even. Look at their willingness to invest of themselves and of their resources. Look at them and do not do less for my kingdom than they do for them as God it causes. Don't do less for my church. Don't do less to save the lost. Don't do less for my great commission. Don't do less for your eternal home. Don't do less for where you'll be spending your eternity. 
Verse 9. I told you I'm going to get back to verse 9. I tell you, said Jesus, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous mammon or worldly mammon. The reason it's called that is, is very simply. Jesus said nobody can serve man and mammon. And he's saying very simply, very simply, that one becomes your master, the other one becomes your slave. If Jesus is your master, then unrighteous mammon become your servant, that you use that for the kingdom of God. That's why it's called unrighteous. But if it becomes your master, then Jesus cannot be your master because they both cannot be. Use whatever he places in your hand. Little things. I am absolutely convinced. And my testimony, I wish I had time. By the way, that book, Trust and Obey, that's my, my biography. That's the story of my life. How I escaped from Egypt back in the 60s, literally with the clothes on my back, and I landed in Australia with a borrowed $100. But I said to the Lord, I do anything. Go anywhere. Don't ask for my opinion. I'll serve you. See, Jesus said, those who are faithful with little, are going to be faithful with much. See, he's putting some things in your hand. They maybe say, well, I, I got nothing. I, I got so little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows that. But he's watching. How are you using that little that he placed in your hand? Because his principle is very simple. As he watches you being faithful with the little that he placed in your hand now, he's going to increase your treasury. He's going to increase your opportunity. He's going to increase you day after day after day. 45 years ago, if you say, God is going to use me to start leading the way and start the church, I thought, you're crazy. God is going to start it. I remember when, when, when God began to lay on my heart the vision for kingdom sat. I said, not me, Lord. I mean, there are a lot of people who are more qualified to do this. I know nothing. I mean, I can't even use these things. I mean, I don't know much about technology. But God brought people who knew all about technology. I just said, I go anywhere, I do anything. I know God can use you in a far greater and mightier way than you can ever imagine or dream. And he can do that today. Ask yourself the question, what am I doing that strictly for the kingdom of God. What percentage of my time, ta talent, and treasure that is strictly for the kingdom of God, for that eternal habitation? And Jesus is saying, I'm not praising a crook. He is saying, he's using an earthly example of the wicked to teach us an eternal principle. May those who have ear can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. For the things you get praised for here on earth by others, you lose your heavenly reward. The things you do for Christ, the investments you make in His kingdom, is where you're going to get praised for Him. Hear the words I live for, and I know that I'm going to hear them one day. Because I made a pact with God some years ago, back in the 80s when I saw preachers falling like flies, and I was terrified. <laughs> I said, Lord, I never want to bring dishonor to your name. I said, I'll make a deal with you. If I ever even begin to bring dishonor to your name, 
take me home and take me fast. And here I am on my 65th year, able to stand before you and testify to the power of God. I live for those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. Now you can be faithful with much. Can that be your prayer? Can that be your prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, visit your people one by one. You don't see us as a big gathering. You see us as individuals. You know every single hair on each of our heads. Father, you care for all the details of our minds, the details of our lives, the details of our physical well-being, the detail of our spiritual well-being. Father, we thank you that you know all things in us and you want to use every one of your children. Lord, you are no respecter of persons. You want to bless your children. You want to add to their territories. You want to expand their vision. And so I pray in Jesus' name, this moment, this hour, that we all begin to learn this lesson that when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, every need will be met in the riches of Christ Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Amen.